Well, good morning and welcome to Full Disclosure with the Better Government Association. Every Wednesday morning, we're ordinarily talking with David Grising, President and CEO of the BGA. David is out this week, but we have a capable substitution filling in. Brian Zaru is the policy director for the BGA and is here with us this morning. Brian, good morning. Welcome. Good morning, Jim. Good to be with you. Always great to, to have you here. Always great to talk about the policy arm of the BGA. When we're with David, we spend a lot of time talking about investigations and kind of the news side of the Better Government Association. And so every time you're on, I always have you just talk a little bit about uh, the, the policy uh, arm of the BGA, what your function is, the role you play in kind of setting a, a, a legislative agenda and focusing on, on issues uh, that can lead to greater transparency in government? Absolutely. The BGA policy team focuses on uh, trying to pass uh, city council ordinances, state legislation, really promoting good government services. So, for instance, uh, we really focus on government accountability, transparency, and and, and equity within government. So we have a a full policy research team. I'm out there in Springfield, out there in city council, trying to push good government legislation. You know, it's a really important point. Uh, Sometimes people think of the BGA as a a Chicago-centric organization, and I know you do a lot of work uh, as a watchdog over the Chicago City Council, the Chicago Mayor's Office. But you are a statewide organization and obviously uh, focus a lot on state legislation as well. And we certainly cannot talk policy with the BGA without talking ethics. This has been a big push for the Better Government Association for a long, long time. It's back in sharp relief again with another state lawmaker, Senator Emil Jones III, uh, now facing federal charges, pleading not guilty to bribery and other charges here. Uh, And Brian, uh, again, I, I know this is something you've pushed for for a long time. We have seen a few fairly feeble attempts at uh, changing ethics rules in the General Assembly. So uh, where do we stand with this? What's the BGA still pushing for that might make a difference or uh, prevent some of these, this ongoing string of lawmakers running afoul of the law? Absolutely. And, uh, and, you know, just to be clear, we know, we know that there's not going to we can't have a law for everything. But the stuff that we saw with Senator Emil Jones, you know, sometimes you're just not going to stop bad behavior. But there are a lot of things that, that could be done to really give confidence to the people of Illinois that the state really cares about this, this kind of uh, anti-corruption measure. So, for instance, one of the major things is. Uh, the modest proposals that they passed last time was adding a six-month lobbying ban after you after after uh, you leave office. We want to see that go up to two years. The state of Florida has it, I believe, at around six years. We are very modest at, at six months. We need to, we need to really change that. And something else that we need to change is the Legislative Ethics Commission. Um, right now, only lawmakers can serve on that uh, on that commission, and it's equally made up of four Democrats, four Republicans. Uh, and there's always, always, always gridlock. Um, and one of the key things that we've noticed in the bill is that uh, in order to serve on that Legislative Ethics Commission, you have to have experience in government office or employment. But it also prohibits employees who are a state officer or employee other than a member of the General Assembly. So in other words, only people of the legislature can actually serve on this commission. So we need to see that either go or expanded. Or, um, and we need to see the Legislative Inspector General empowered. 
And, uh, yeah, this is another good point. In the aftermath of Senator Jones' arrest, Republicans uh, put out an ethics package. It puts even more limits on lobbying activities by lawmakers uh, while they're in office lobbying for other entities or also uh, on their ability to actually seek out lobbying jobs when they know their time in the legislature is coming to an end. They shouldn't be negotiating with lobbying firms to get a job after they leave office while they're still in office. And it also talks about more teeth for the legislative inspector general. Uh, This is something we've heard about for a a long time. Brian, from your perspective, what are the odds that we're going to see any of these ideas see the light of day, whether in the fall veto session or next spring? Um, Well, I I do not expect it to happen in the fall veto session. We will, the BGA and many other groups will also bring this up uh, when the legislature starts again in January in the new legislature. Um, But uh, the the chances of something happening are very slim. But we we use the fact that Senator Emile Jones, uh, former Speaker Mike Madigan, are going to be back in the news again with all their trials uh, coming, uh, coming forward in 2023. So we're hopeful to use that as a measure to say, hey, this is still going on, and you never know. We might we might see some more lawmakers, unfortunately, uh, fall, fall victim. Brian Zeruz, the policy director of the Better Government Association, filling in for David Grising this morning on full disclosure here on 92.7 WMAY. Uh, another area that uh, the BGA uh, policy team has been working on, and I find this really, really interesting, and it has to do with greater transparency in our court system. Uh, you know, we have three separate co-equal branches of government, and uh, we have plenty of open records laws and open meetings laws uh, that are intended to uh, make sure the public is able to monitor and keep track on what those branches of government are doing uh, so you can get records from the executive branch. You can uh, make sure you're able to attend legislative hearings and meetings and things. But a lot of what happens in the judicial system uh, can happen behind closed doors, can happen under seal, can happen under wraps. Uh, and so you've been looking at ways to have greater transparency in the court system. Talk about that. Absolutely. Uh, what many people don't know is that the freedom of information law uh, in the state of Illinois covers the legislative and executive branch. The judicial branch is completely left out. So um, we have built a coalition of about 10 organizations. We'll be filing legislation in January to open up the judicial branch, uh, especially the administrative functions of the court. There are so many departments that fall under the chief judge um, that um, that we can't find information on. And if you do submit a FOIA request, they will respond with, we are not subject to FOIA. Um, so we'll be pushing this hard with, with a few representatives and a few senators. Um, and I think we can make some real traction once we educate the public and educate lawmakers on what exactly we're missing here. Well, give me a couple of examples of what you're talking about. What sorts of things uh, do you think would be beneficial for the press and for government watchdogs such as the BGA uh, to be able to see that we cannot currently get access to? So uh, a small example is something like uh, juvenile detention centers. Juvenile detention centers fall under the judicial branch. Um, Right now, if you wanted to FOIA to find out how many people were in juvenile detention, what kind of food they're getting, what kind of contracts are being signed, any information uh, that falls under that, you cannot find. Um, and we're looking really to find this information so that we can make the data better, so that uh, journalists can find out, hey, this is what's happening. Here's what's not improved. But right now, if we can't find, if we can't get the records, how are we going to improve the system?
Does this in any way, is it, how much is it complicated, I guess, by uh, the, the nature of the judiciary that you're dealing with people who are innocent until proven guilty? And so there are, are lots of things that, that go on there that may ultimately uh, never see the light of day, may not be part of the public record if somebody is ultimately not taken to trial or not uh, found guilty of something. Uh, and how much does that complicate the ability to have FOIA apply to, to the judicial branch? So, so just to make things clear, we, we're, we are not – there's actually exemptions in the law. So in the FOIA law, there will be exemptions, redactions for juveniles, for um, and anything that's listed in the FOIA law that, that you can redact will be redacted. So this will follow the Freedom of Information law. We are also exempting things like judicial memos and judges' text messages, judges' emails. That's not what we're asking for. Um, so it's going to be very specific, and once we spell it out uh, over the next few months, I think people will really get a grasp of it. Really looking forward to hearing more about this and talking more about uh, the, the need for it and how it could be uh, very beneficial, uh, both from a, a watchdog perspective and just really to enhance the public understanding of what goes on in the judicial branch. Uh, there's a lot of mysteries surrounding it, and uh, I think we're all better off if we have a greater understanding of how uh, that arm of government functions. We'll talk more about that in the weeks and months to come. We've got more full disclosure this morning here on 92.7 WMAY. Brian Zaru is the policy director at the BGA. Filling in for David Grising this morning. He'll return here in just a moment. In the meantime... All right, welcome back to Full Disclosure with the Better Government Association. Brian Zaru is the policy director at the BGA, filling in for David Greising this week. And Brian, in the uh, couple of minutes we have left, of course, it is uh, an election year. It's campaign season. That also raises some policy questions about transparency. A really fascinating debate playing out right now as it pertains to these uh, political mailings that are designed to look like actual newspapers. They're they're not not newspapers in the traditional sense of a, uh, a media organization that's looking at both sides. They clearly are coming from a point of view. It raises some interesting questions about, again, free speech rights, and you're free to print and publish whatever you want. Uh, the Pritzker campaign has objected because the parent company of a prominent Illinois newspaper had actually contracted to uh, print and distribute these not-so-legitimate newspapers. They eventually uh, pulled out of that over the controversy. Uh, but it does raise some questions, again, about how do, uh, do voters really trust what they're seeing and, and the source of the information they're getting in this election year? Yeah, Jim, unfortunately, we're seeing this happen here in Illinois. And if you recall, we saw a lot of this during the 2016 presidential campaign. Facebook was running wild with fake news websites and fake articles and a lot of misinformation. And what we're seeing here in Illinois is, I think, a more effective version because people are getting all the characteristics of a real newspaper, the look, the touch, the feel, the headlines. Although, you know, I wish that these tactics weren't used because at the end of the day, all it does is discredit legitimate papers. And we as readers, and I tell my students this all the time at the college level, is that we need to be educated consumers of information. We have to ask ourselves, who is behind this? Why did I get this? Why did I randomly get this paper? I'm not subscribed to anything. And as we heard, it looks like they're going to be sending a lot more, but it really comes down to um, unfortunately, the people being educated consumers of information. 
And that really is uh, important. Again, the, this there are some things that just may not be possible to regulate or to devise laws or rules for. And so you do have to have a, a somewhat skeptical eye on everything you read, regardless of the source. Double check information. And it does go again to uh, just really having that what we've come to refer to as media literacy and really understanding uh, the source of the information that you're getting to make sure it is, in fact, reliable. And and it's telling you a, a full story. Absolutely, and and I I encourage people all the time to you know be skeptical of what you're reading and go online and check and see what is legitimate and what is not. And um, when you receive something to your house called the, the DuPage Policy Journal or the City Wire, and you never subscribe to it, you know that should ring off alarm bells in your head saying. I don't know what this is. This is this is probably untrue. With that, we are out of time. Brian Drew, again, is the policy director for the Better Government Association. We strongly encourage you to check out the BGA website where you can learn more uh, about the policy initiatives the BGA is involved in. You can also read their investigative pieces and uh, uh, our, uh, opinion articles, analysis, uh, lots of great information there. And that is at bettergov.org. Brian, thanks for your time this morning. We appreciate it.